I encourage you to open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 12. We're going to continue our series through this book of the Bible, as well as this major event in the life of God's chosen people. We're leaving chapter 11. It's clear that the Lord is distinguishing between His people and the Egyptians. In His mercy and His covenant faithfulness, He will provide the sign, the remedy that rescues His people from this coming death in Egypt. And so one by one, we see the Lord humiliating, utterly defeating the gods, the lowercase g gods of the Egyptians. They're powerless to stand against Him, powerless to save, powerless to provide um, for the needs of the people. And so you really have to ask the question, well, what makes these gods worthy of worship then? And the Lord continues, He multiplies His wonders in Egypt to show that He alone is worthy of all worship. Yet even in this, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to repent, refuses to acknowledge who he really is before Yahweh, the sovereign, all-powerful God. It seems that the more, the more Pharaoh suffers and the more the people suffer, the, the more obstinate he gets, the hard, hard-hearted uh, that he gets. And so this final strike that remains, it's really going to bring Pharaoh to his knees. It's going to bring the people of Egypt uh, to their knees in the death of the firstborn. So I'm going to read the first 14 verses of chapter 12, and I'll make a reference to a couple other sections as we go. We'll actually return to chapter 12 uh, in the future weeks as we look at the Exodus itself, more of this Passover celebration. Chapter 12, beginning at verse uh, 14. Excuse me, beginning at verse 1 and going through 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the, put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. We'll stop our reading 
of God's Word at that point. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do thank You for this Word. We thank You that You are pleased to speak to us in a way that we can hear, in a way that we can understand. We pray, Holy Spirit, that You would work in our hearts and our minds now, that You would give us understanding of this Word. Lord, there are so many things in this very moment that will distract us, so many things we want to think about that are ahead, that are behind. Lord, make us attentive now to Your Word. We need Your help. Speak faithfully, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So things are looking pretty good in the land of Goshen. It's where you wanted to be in this land. The hand of the Lord is heavy upon the Egyptians. His just judgment in these cycles that we have looked at, but His mercy extends to Israel. They have to be feeling pretty good about themselves at this point, or at least a little special. They had been spared all the mess of the frogs. They'd been spared the biting flies. They'd been spared the damage of the hailstorm. They could see the lightning, hear the thunder, but no damage in Goshen. And while it was dark, gloomy over the land, they could still go about their work day and night uh, in this place. Um, so things are looking up. You know, whatever, whatever the Lord wants to throw out next, it's going to be okay if you're in the land of Goshen. Could it be that after nine strikes from the hand of the Lord, there's a little bit of privilege? Feeling a little bit of privilege? That maybe they should be spared these strikes, whatever the Lord is going to dish out next. I think knowing the human heart, at least because we know ourselves just a little bit, um, it shouldn't surprise us if there was a little bit of of self-righteousness, a little entitlement on the part of the people here. You know, they have it coming. We obviously don't. We do this so easily, don't we? So easily. We had a thunderstorm that sort of camped out over Jacksonville a couple Fridays ago now. So I'm reading out loud in the living room, and all of a sudden, bam! The same time that the lightning hit, there's this pop in the living room, and Katie says she saw a light. I didn't see it, but I think there was a light, and there went the TV. Um, not a major loss, not a major catastrophe. Um, but we, you know, we went over to the neighbors. The kids were feeding the fish at the neighbor's house. So we wanted to make sure things were okay. And so we walked over there and everything seemed to be fine. And once they returned home, we didn't hear about any other damage from the neighbors. We don't know where the lightning actually, actually touched down. But uh, this power surge was enough to zap some of our electronics. And a few times that thought jumped into my mind, well, why, why my TV? You know, why does something in my house have to blow up and not the neighbors? Um, but did you hear the sense of privilege there? You know, like this, something like this shouldn't happen to me. It shouldn't happen in my house. So the people of Israel, they're, they're no better. There's no sense of privilege. There's no superiority. The people of of Israel in Goshen over the Egyptians. They could claim no righteousness. In fact, they deserve death just as much as the Egyptians around them. No innocence in all of Egypt to include Goshen. And God is going to show His people here their need. He's going to show them their sin and their need 
for salvation with this final strike. We know that people had already rejected God's word through Moses. Remember that back in chapter 5? Moses, go away, this isn't working. We're only making matters worse. We know a little later in the story in, in Joshua that the people had been worshiping idols in Egypt and the Lord almost wipes them out in the wilderness because they go right back to it. They deserve, could expect only death. But God shows mercy. He provides a way of escaping His wrath. And chapter 12, as we've read, is, is how He does this. What He requires of the people to avoid this coming death. It's going to come through the, the preparation of the Passover, the meal itself. The blood of a perfect lamb will be that sign. The covering for His people. And there really is no greater type in all of the Bible. No person, no event, no pattern that so clearly moves us from the Old Testament to New Testament fulfillment. Life under the better covenant in Jesus Christ. So we have the very pattern of salvation through the shed blood of the Lamb. And this Passover, that memorial in the Old Testament, it's represented, it's changed under the new covenant in the blood of Jesus. And He enjoys that Passover meal with His disciples. He says to them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for many for the forgiveness of sin. So we really can't help it as we read this. That is why it's included here in God's particular revelation to us. So we can, as we consider the Passover and the elements of the Passover, we're always thinking, always remembering what Christ has done. And the remembrance that He's given us here at the Lord's table. So we're going to answer several of our faithful investigator uh, type questions. What, how, when, and who of this Passover. I'm, I'm going to pin different words on them. Hopefully we can remember those a little easier. Uh, but the first is menu. What did the Passover meal include? This is a commemorative meal, so it required some significant uh, preparation on the part of the people. If you're going to prepare for a Thanksgiving meal, it's not something you just throw together, most of us, an hour before. Or you invite people well in advance so that they can make preparations and bring the beans or the potatoes or whatever else. Um, and so the Lord said, on the tenth day of Nisan, every house must take a lamb. So this is the springtime. It's not the new year according to the more familiar agricultural calendar. But the Lord said, this is a new start for you. A new beginning for the people in this event. They will remember this deliverance. and It's marked out now in their calendar. Uh, each family was to take a lamb. If the family was too small to eat the lamb, then they were to join their neighbors, um, either a lamb or a goat kid, so that there would be enough to actually eat the meal. So the, the very basic principle here was have enough people to eat the meat uh, without being wasteful because you can't pack it up. You can't take it with you. Uh, no leftovers here. So they collect the lambs on the tenth day, kill them all four days later. And until then, they had to, to feed and take care of this perfect, unblemished lamb uh, for that week. Why a perfect, unblemished lamb? Um, it really is a good question. You know, it's not going to affect the taste a whole lot if the lamb has spots, or if it has a bum leg, or half of its ear is chewed off. That, sh that shouldn't affect the taste of the lamb. Um, 
So even if the people didn't really care about that sort of thing, it's, it's clear that God cares. This lamb or young goat was to be a sacrifice. Its life was being offered to a perfectly holy, a perfectly righteous God as a substitute for the firstborn of the house. So that the quality of the meat here is not the issue at all, but the quality of the sacrifice is to be unblemished, set apart, holy unto the Lord who is holy. So there's going to be a shedding of blood with this sacrifice. We read in the New Testament, Hebrews 9, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, no escape from this death that comes from sin. The Lord requires a perfect lamb. Think even as, as we go back to the beginning of the story. Think of Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel, each bringing a sacrifice to the Lord, only one of them is accepted. The, the, the blood offering, the firstborn of Abel's flock. And when the, the Lord stops Abraham from sacrificing his only son, it is the Lord who provides the blood sacrifice in the ram. It shouldn't surprise us by now, as much as it should still amaze us, that God is going to provide what God requires. He provides the lamb for his people, all throughout the great story of redemption. And it, and it just, just keeps getting better as this substitute for, for more and more people as the story goes on. And so you think of Abraham, there's, there's one ram that's sacrificed in, for his son. And then a little later in the story, as the nation comes together on that day of atonement, there's one animal sacrificed for the nation. And under the new covenant of Christ... There is one Lamb for the true Israel of God the world over. All other lambs, all other blood sacrifices were a type, a preparation for the coming of Jesus, whom Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, is our Passover Lamb. Jesus was male. He was young at the time of His death. Free from all spiritual defect. Read this in Hebrews 4, Hebrews 9. They all attest to this. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God? And from 1 Peter 2, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. It's His perfection, the sinless life of Jesus that qualifies Him to be the Lamb of God. And we learn in the New Testament it's on the 10th day of the month when all of the lambs are being selected and inspected in the city of Jerusalem for the sacrifice of the Passover. And it's that day that Jesus rode into the city. Four days later, as every one of these lambs is slaughtered, the one true lamb is slaughtered outside the city. So the lamb, its preparation was the most important part of this feast, of this menu it also included unleavened bread, uh, bitter herbs, uh, things like lettuce or other garnish, parsley, things like that. Um, the bitter herbs certainly represent the, the harshness of treatment under the oppression of Egypt and slavery, but it's also an element of life that people would enjoy. Uh, people are sustained through the death of something, whether it's an animal or whether it's plant life. 
So the bitterness of death, so that they might live, is represented here. And the people eat in haste. They couldn't wait for the bread to rise. This unleavened bread, it's also a picture of what it is they're leaving behind in Egypt. So the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they go together. They're part of the same celebration. We're actually going to talk more about that in a a different week. We'll go back and look at uh, portions of, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But the Lord includes specific items on this menu to teach His people, to aid their remembrance of His saving grace. The meal would provide nourishment for them, but its main purpose was not that, to provide nourishment. It was, it was spiritual. Um, to be this, this observance that, that moved the people year after year to remember, to give thanks. Um, to really do what we see them doing. We didn't read this in verse 27, but they hear this instruction. They bow their heads in worship. Um, and this meal continues for the people of God today. Only two items on this menu. Two items that Jesus identified, sets apart as part of this remembrance. The the bread representing uh, His body. The blood, uh, the cup, is His shed blood. The words of Jesus in John chapter 6 really provide a great explanation, a rich background Uh, to what is happening, why we go to this feast. And Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. And later on in the chapter, He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So what is this feeding? What is this drinking? It's looking to Christ in faith, believing that he lived and died and rose again for you. For His church. We feast upon Him by faith. See that the table is not intended to fill our bellies. But what nourishment it does give us, we can be all the more confident of the nourishment that it gives to our faith. Seeing, tasting, touching. Remember and believe in what Jesus has done, that one-time sacrifice. So how are the people to eat this meal? We have the menu, now the manner. Menu and the manner of the feast. This is verses 8 through 13 or so. And unlike our Thanksgiving meal where we sit down and we casually eat and pass the dishes and and take our time, the people were to eat quickly, in haste. Uh, Thanksgiving, we're typically loosening our belts, right? They're not. They're tightening their belts. It's a posture of readiness, prepared to leave Egypt, just as the Lord said they would. There's no leaven in the bread. The lamb is is roasted over the fire. This is the most expeditious way to cook the lamb. Eating raw meat could be kind of dangerous. Boiling takes too long. They need to be ready to go at any time. And it really shows us their trust. 
to be in that posture of readiness, to be ready to go at any time, that yes, the Lord is going to do this. He's going to do what He said He's going to do, and we're ready to participate in it. But I want to pause there for a second and really consider how challenging that would have been. Uh, The people of Israel have been in Egypt for over 400 years. This is where mom and dad and grandpa and grandma and great-grandpa and grandma lived and died. We know they've been crying out to the Lord, that life has not been, been easy, but leaving a place after you've been there for so long would be very difficult. Some of you have moved back to central Arkansas because there's family here. Or you've never moved away or wanted to move away for that same reason. This is familiar. This is what you know. Egypt is all these people knew. And some of us would rather endure the hardships of where it is we're living than actually pack up and move. So the manner of the meal shows a great trust in what's happening here. How about this meal as we eat together? Um, you know, we're not typically eating standing up with our coats on, you know, your Bibles in hand, ready to run out the door as soon as we're done feasting together. But what is the posture in our hearts as we eat and drink? If our king returns today or we meet this physical death, are we prepared for that? The Lord calls us to a new station in life, a new station to serve Him. Is that going to break us, or are we confident of His purpose? Are we confident of His care? We should be reminded as we eat this meal together that our lives are hidden with Christ, and this world in its present condition is not our eternal home. Our citizenship is in this place, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship in here won't last. Our citizenship in heaven will last. So place is very important. When we eat and drink, we should be encouraged not to hold too tightly to these temporal places on the things that the world values so much. So we said that the lamb and its preparation was the most important part, the shedding of blood in particular. Before the people actually ate the meal, they were to take a bunch of of hyssop, um, dip it in in the blood and wipe it on the the lintel, that crossbar on the door, as well as each of the side bars. Um, Verses 21 through 22, Moses, Moses passes this information along through the elders of Israel. And so the lamb was killed outside the door of the house. The blood would run down on that that front sort of entryway where the threshold was. There may be a little ditch there, a little container there sometimes to, to collect what's um, fallen in that threshold. Um, so when you think about that, the door is actually sealed with blood on four sides. The top crossbar, the sides, and the blood that's spilled on the threshold. It's a powerful picture. Gross, but very powerful. As pastor and teacher Arthur Pink not as well known, uh, grew up in England, moved to the U.S. early 20th century. Um, he said, this, this is a picture of what we see in Christ, in His suffering. He said, we see the blood on His brow, the crown of thorns, the blood at His sides, through His pierced hands, the blood below, through His pierced 
and bloody feet. All four sides. So the people would go through this door to safety. That's true for God's people today. I think it puts a little perspective on the words of Jesus. He says in John chapter 10, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, will go in and out and find pasture. The blood on the door was the sign. You go back to 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So the blood was a sign to both the people and to God. So that life has been taken here. For the people, it was their lamb. It was their substitute. They were, they were covered by its blood. The firstborn in that home would not die because this young animal had died. And when the angel of the Lord, the very presence of God, came to that door, it would communicate. It would say, the penalty for sin has been paid here. The lamb has died, and so the wrath of God is turned aside. And this is, this is what the New Testament means uh, through the Apostle Paul, Romans 3, uh, 1 John 2, Hebrews 2, by a, a fancy word called propitiation. The just wrath of God has been appeased, moved away from its intended subject. You and I need the blood of a perfect substitute. We have that blood in the Lord Jesus. In this is love, John says, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. When God sees the blood of His Son, He says the price is paid in full. My justice has been satisfied. That blood is enough. So brothers and sisters, I can't even call you brothers and sisters. Uh, We can't be the church of the Lord Jesus without the blood. It really is all about the blood and our perfect substitute. If the lamb has not died, there's no blood on the door, then the firstborn in that house does die. If our Passover lamb, the lamb of God, has not died, and you you have not believed, smearing the, the blood on the door, as it were, by faith, then you will not escape this coming death. It is all about the blood, and the blood of Jesus is enough. It is enough. So here's a, here's a public confession by the people of Israel. The blood was a sign. They, they trusted in this substitute, in the sacrifice of the lamb. So the lamb, as we said before, is given by God. Okay, this is the grace piece, His grace to them in providing the lamb, but they have to trust in the lamb and actually smear the blood on the door. Stay inside the house so that they are saved, that they escape death by grace through their trust, through faith. Hebrews 11, speaking of Moses, it says, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So we've touched on the menu, the manner, now the memorial. Uh, When is the meal to be eaten? Uh, Moses is offering these words to the people of Israel who would experience that first night of the Passover, but it's also the generations to come. 
Uh, they, need to, they need careful instruction to remember how to celebrate what would happen 40 years earlier as they enter into the promised land. Here's verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. So each year this feast would be held. The Passover explained to the children, to the grandchildren, verse 25 through 27. Every generation was to hear and to know the significance of this meal and what was happening. It's a statute forever. It all it continues today in the new covenant meal right here at the Lord's table. When should we go to the table? How often should we go to the table? It's an important question uh, for this local household, right? For any church family to consider. Um, this is God's gift to His people as we attest that it is. It's His means of grace to feed us, to nourish our faith. If it's going to grow us up as a church, then we need to go to the table often. We need to be fed. This has led many churches to to go to the table every week, every time they gather in corporate worship like we are right now, um, going to uh, the Lord's table. We see that uh, support for that in the young New Testament church. In the the course of time, the, the weekly observance in the church, it started to become more programmatic. It wasn't more of a ritual, didn't mean as much for those who were participating. And so as you might expect in the church, the pendulum went whoosh, right back the other way. Right? Now it was so, so significant and so solemn and Paul's words of warning taken so seriously that only once a year do you go to the table and prepare for that. Um, so most churches, denominations, are somewhere in between if, they have, if they've decided against a weekly communion. And currently we go to the table once a month here at Trinity. It allows for consistency, for preparation, but it guards against a, a less thoughtful ritualistic practice uh, that many in this church have experienced. Um, and something else we see in this memorial really can be applied more broadly. The importance of teaching our children, teaching successive generations. We have an example here in verses 26 and 27 when children ask, uh, the meal is to be explained, uh, but it needs to be taught and explained even if they don't ask by the parents, by their, their families. Uh, this example really stresses the importance of, of educating uh, or the meal won't be regarded it, over time. It will, it will lose its importance or worse, lost altogether. Do you talk to your children about what's happening when we go to the table? Do you prepare for this as a family? I know now we have our modern educational system. So much teaching is moved outside of the home. We need to remember, parents, grandparents, families, you're considered by God to be the primary teachers of your children. This doesn't mean that you're teaching them everything. But when it comes to their understanding of God's Word, when it comes to their their walk of faith, their walk with the Lord, they need to be hearing this from you. They need to be seeing it in you, in your home. I think there's such a dominant perception in our our culture. If we drop off our our kids at at church for their Bible training or their spiritual training, 
then that base is covered and the family can sort of, you know, be about their business. But let me tell you, whatever your business is as a family, that is what will shape your children. Not the classes that they're in here at church. They may remember a few things into adulthood. The beauty, the power of the blood needs to be taught, needs to be reinforced in the home. Maybe there's some fuel there for repentance for you. I know there is for me. I think about that. We're going to answer one more question. That's the who. Who should eat this meal? Who should participate in the Passover? I'm using M words, so I can't stop now. I will call this the mission. So menu, manner, memorial, and now mission. I find this in verses 43 through 49. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. Now, I don't know about you, but to me this sounds a lot like discrimination. Um, foreigners, you know, those who are just passing through, they couldn't participate. Oh, oh, you've lived here among God's people for a while, but you're not circumcised. The male in your house isn't circumcised. You may not participate. Um, this is discrimination, but it doesn't have the negative connotations that we so often put with that word. This is not an ethnic discrimination. It has nothing to do with race. But this is a a religious discrimination that's mandated by the Lord, the judge of heaven and earth who always does what is right. The necessary discrimination. There is necessary discrimination. If you're a teenager who wants to drive but you haven't taken any driver's training at all, you don't have that driver's license, and you have no business being behind the wheel and joining the company of drivers. The Passover was for members of the covenant community. Those who acted upon God's instruction, who trusted in the power of this bloody sign. They could participate. They had a place at the table. This meal was for those who were saved by grace through faith. We really get a sense here of God's, God's mission, His goal. His mission in choosing the people of Israel, saving them from the oppression of Egypt, was never so that He would have a group of pure ethnic Jews all to Himself. It's never His goal. His promise to Abraham, we go back to Genesis 12, was that in Him, in Abraham, all the nations would be blessed. We know from... Even from this chapter, we'll read it at a later time, but there were Egyptians who left with the people of Israel. Life in the promised land would see foreigners not only exposed to the worship of Yahweh, but settling down among God's chosen people. Under the new covenant, we just keep on going through the story. Under the new covenant, we see a growing community. Jews, Gentiles, the gospel goes forth. 
the true Israel of God grows from every tongue and every nation. That's the mission. So the discrimination between those who could eat the Passover and those who couldn't, it's not to, you know, to keep certain folks, certain ethnicities away, keep certain status away, but to show uh, the necessity um, of what's necessary to be within the covenant community. The Lord provides a way for outsiders to join the family, to receive this saving grace. Uh, he does that through that identifying mark of circumcision, um, communicated that they belonged with the people of Israel, that they had trusted in what the sign was doing. Let's keep in mind, they, they weren't saved by the physical act of circumcision. They were saved by faith, by trusting in what the other circumcised men and families believed around them. It's important for us as we gather at the Lord's table. If we are to enjoy the communion of God's people and eat at the table, then we must have the mark of inclusion in the body of Christ. A personal belief, a confession of faith in what the blood of Jesus has accomplished. See, all the spiritual benefits of Christ, of, of our union with Christ, they only come to those who look to Him in faith. You know, it really is possible to receive spiritual benefit. In fact, this happens all the time. People receive spiritual benefit by being a part of the church and participating in, in, in the life of the church. But we need to know that salvation is not one of those benefits of participating in the life of the church. We can only enjoy full communion with the people of God when we have surrendered our hearts, surrendered our lives to Christ, identified Him, identified with Him, um, baptized in His name. So the people of Israel are rescued together. Uh, they're going to eat this meal together. They're going to leave Egypt together. And we need to remember that it's Christ who, who joins us together. The communion of the saints. All of the all the beautiful teachings of the church, our salvation, our, our justification, saying all of those things, they're accomplished, they're enjoyed in union with Jesus. So you and I are saved as part of this body, of this co-union of the saints. Can't, can't live a life of faith without this. Think of what, what Dr. Ed Clowney says very appropriately. It is only union with God, union with Christ, that creates the unity of God's people. Really chew on that one for a while. Only the union with Christ that creates the unity of God's people. So show me a church, show me a people that where individual members are, are seeking to walk with the Lord. They're, they're seeking His face. They're living in, in repentance. They're enjoying union with Christ. And I'll show you a church that is unified and is quick to resolve conflicts. A church that's excited to spend time together, serve together, because it's part of their very identity. I think Trinity looks like this in many ways. Certainly much growth we look forward to, but there is, there is a unity here, not because we're just really nice people. Or, we're, or we have you know, good, good training and resolution techniques. There's a unity because there's a union with Christ. The table, eating around this table, is such a powerful picture 
of that unity, of our union with Christ. You do not want to miss eating at this table. And that's really how I need to close. Um, Prophet Isaiah, absolutely overcome in the the presence of the Lord, realizing just how much the, the weight of his own sin, how unrighteous his righteousness was. And here's what he said, All of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. We deserve nothing less than to be swept away under the wrath of God. But he's shown mercy. He's given us a lamb. The only lamb that can make atonement for your sins and for mine. This lamb was slain. He now lives again, now gives life to all who look to him in faith. So at this table, we we remember and we rejoice in the shed blood of the lamb. But there's another feast that's coming. One that Christ is Preparing for His people. Preparing for His bride. This is the the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's a feast of redemption. A feast of joy. Jesus is that holy food. Remember John chapter 6? He's that holy food nourishing His bride. And when He comes back for her, she's like the guest of honor. She's honored. She's glorified around the table. So you, you need to be there at that table. You need to be at this table until we are all gathered around that table. The wedding feast of the Lamb. Our King, the Lamb of God, is returning. Let's be prepared as His bride. Father, we thank You for this word that our Passover Lamb has been slain once and for all. We thank You for the meal that You give us, continually reminding us of Your love, Your faithfulness, and of this sacrifice. Lord, work this truth into our hearts. Give us a deeper appreciation, a deeper joy as your people, united to Christ and to one another. We offer this in his name. Amen.